Leviticus chapter 17. Again, what's the whole theme of Leviticus in one word? Holiness. That's good. Some of you guys are paying attention, at least bold enough to talk out loud. Uh, But the whole theme of the book of Leviticus, it's holiness. We serve a holy God. He is holy, and he calls us to be holy. What does that word holy mean? It's to be set apart from, or the way we should look at it, it's not just what we're set apart from, just running away from our sin, running away from our past, but we are set apart to and for the work of God. So it's not just being so consumed, I can't do this, I can't do this. No, I get to do this. I get to, instead of serve sin and be a slave to sin, I get to serve the Lord and be a slave to my God. Again, instead of being set apart for the work of the enemy, we get to be set apart for the work of the Lord. Here in chapter 17, it's going to speak about blood and how highly the Lord sees blood and wanted the nation of Israel themselves to see blood and know how important it is. We'll just read through it, verse 1 through 4. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. And say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off. From among his people. We're going to see this very often in chapter 17 and 18. That any disobedience to these commands from the Lord. What needed to take place was the person needed to be cut off from their people. And this was either death. It'd be a death sentence. Or it'd be being sent away out of the nation of Israel. Where is the nation of Israel right now as they're given the law of Moses? They're out in the desert. They're out in the middle of nowhere. So now to be disobedient to God and what God has called us to do and them to do, they were to kick the person out of their their tribe, their tent community. And now they'd have to be out in the wilderness. And now again, for us to think, I, I believe we water down the scripture so much. We take our God. He is a God of grace, but he is also a God of law and of order. And I think there's many of us that we need to make these types of stands, cutting people off, cutting people out of our lives because they are saying they're serving the Lord, but they're not. And for some of us, maybe that's why you're here. It's not necessarily that you would learn about blood and what you should do with blood and blood, blood, blood. Maybe it's for you tonight, right? But for many of us, perhaps there's a stand that the Lord has been pricking our hearts that we need to make But we've kept sweeping it under the rug, right? We keep telling ourselves, grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. No, 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 don't make a stand. And maybe tonight, perhaps tonight, God is asking you to make a stand. What did they need to do? Any animal that was killed, they needed to bring it to the door of the tabernacle. That is, if you wanted to worship the Lord God of Israel, you had to come on his terms. You couldn't just wake up that morning, right? Go out of your tent and you're, you're a good shot. So you just shoot that perfect lamb in your backyard and you say, hey, God, that one's for you. No, you, you can't do that. Any animal that you wanted to worship for the Lord, you would have to get that animal, right? 
depending on the size of it, whether you're bringing two doves or whether you're bringing that ox, now you're wrestling with that animal. I don't know when was the last time you tried to tell an ox, hey, come and let me kill you, right? But you have to wrestle with that animal and you have to take it to the tabernacle. And God is saying, any person that wants to worship me, they have to bring it to the door. We know that the New Testament, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, the life. He is the door. The only way we can come to God is in and through Jesus Christ. There's also another practical warning here for the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 13 through 15, a similar warning here for the nation of Israel. It tells us, Take heed to yourselves that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer the burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your hearts desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean you may eat of it, the gazelle and the deer like. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. Again, the whole reason why the Lord wanted them to do this was exactly how God told them and instructed them to do it. If not, they would be tempted to fall into idolatry. You see, if we begin to serve the Lord and worship God out of our comfort, God warns us it will slowly but surely lead to us being in idolatry. God was taking this temptation out of the nation of Israel's hand. If they knew the only way to worship God was to bring their animal to be slaughtered at the tabernacle, at the door of meeting, it would cut down on that temptation to offer things unto idols. Again, our God demands that we serve him with our heart, right? Not just with our mouths, but God desires the heart. With our heart, with our actions, and with conviction. This is how God calls us to serve him. This is the way we need to serve him even today. And if you were disobedient, what does it tell us there? The guilt of bloodshed would be put, placed upon that man, imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Disobedience to not worshiping God on his terms would lead you to be cut off from the people of Israel. Disobedience to God, not worshiping the way he commanded to be worshipped, would lead people to be cut off from the nation of Israel. And we think, ah, this has nothing to apply to us today. But oftentimes we want to serve and worship God based on our feelings, emotions, and comforts. Not you guys, you guys are here on a Wednesday night, right? But everybody else, right? Those that didn't come. Sometimes it's based on our feelings, our emotions, our comfort, right? I had a, you know, man, I miss you. I haven't seen you. Where you've been? I had a headache last month, and I just haven't been since then, right? And, and people come up with the silliest excuses or reasons, right, to not come to church. We can be reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. This is basically the New Testament version of what we're reading here in Leviticus. God commanded them, hey, you want to love me? You want to worship me? Have to come to the tabernacle. It tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, our worship and our service to God is not to be controlled by feelings, emotions, and comfort. We need to come together to stir one another up, to encourage one another, to love one another. That takes place face-to-face, right? Maybe you're watching online and you haven't come in a long time. Perhaps God's calling you today to begin to assemble yourself together with a body of believers, right? Maybe Calvary Chapel Miami doesn't take as many precautions as you would like. Find a church that takes the precautions that you need, but you need to be assembling together with other believers, especially the more as we see the day approaching. It's the same idea here that we're reading in Leviticus. If you want to worship the Lord, if you want to serve the Lord, you got to be with the Lord's people. You got to be in the Lord's house, right? Some people say, ah, online church is the same thing, right? Except I get to eat my breakfast burrito, my coffees, right, right? I get to wake up one minute before the service starts. I turn it on. I leave it running. I brush my teeth while I worship. And it's the same thing, right? No, it's not the same thing, right? I hope that when someone asks you to go on a date and they say, hey, where do you want to meet? Hey, here's the Zoom link. (laughs) Here's the Zoom link and we'll go out on our first date, right? Dump that guy. That guy's done. Over with, right? You want to be face-to-face. You want to be with that person. How did you have Thanksgiving meal? Hey, each of us will get our our frozen hungry man Thanksgiving meal out of the freezer aisle, right? And each of us will have Thanksgiving on Zoom. Each family member will eat in our room and eat together. No, we need to come together. That's the whole point of worship. This actually happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here you have Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, I believe he shows us a perspective of the enemy's perspective and how he treats the nation of Israel and how the enemy treats us. In 1 Kings 12, verse 26 through 28, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice. He made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which has brought you up from the land of Egypt. I think this is such a great picture of how the enemy treats us. For many of us, the battle that goes on in our minds after we get out of work on, on Wednesday, right? Maybe the battle that goes on your mind Sunday morning. Sometimes it's the battle in my mind on Sunday morning, right? Maybe I should just be comfortable, stay here in bed. I just watch online. I'm a little too tired. Work was hard today. And the enemy tells us it's too much for you to drive to Calvary Chapel, Miami today. It's just too much. You've been through too much. The day's been too hard. And there are certain days that it is too much. There are certain days that it is too hard. The kids are sick. You're not feeling well. Things happen. Things happen. But if this is the only way you're coming to church, if this is what's happening more often than not, perhaps you're serving the God of comfort more than you're serving the God of the Bible. And this also reveals to us that there's no room for our own individualistic way of coming to God. I don't know if you ever dealt with that with a coworker, 
or another classmate, right? And they find out you're a Christian. They go, yeah, I'm a Christian too. You go, wow, that's amazing. When was the last time you go to church? Oh, I don't do that. I'm not religious, you know, but I've got my own relationship with God. Oh, that's great. When was the last time you read your Bible? Oh, I don't do that, you know. I just go to the beach and just there in nature. I'm just one with God, right? I go out on the boat, and as I'm reeling a fish, I'm there with God, right? Well, if there's no fish, I'm with the enemy. But if there's fish, I'm with God, right? There is no room for that. God tells us exactly how we're to worship him and serve him. And if we love him, we're going to obey his commandments. If we only worship God based on our comfort, he is not our God. We've moved him from his throne in our hearts, and we've put comfort in his place. That's what often happens to us. We say, God, this isn't comfortable. This is getting hard. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do this. This is easier. What we've done is we've put comfort over God's throne in our own lives. Verse 5 through 7, back to Leviticus 17. There it tells us, To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons." After whom they've played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. God gets so specific here in verse 7. There's only one true and living God. There are many other gods. There are many other religions. And many of these other gods and religions, they do have some type of power. Even a spiritual power, but we need to know the influence behind these other religions and these other gods are demonic. That's what Leviticus 17.7 is telling us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20 and 21, Paul says something very similar. He says that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Things you think you'd never have to tell someone, right? I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Can't be mixing religions. There's only one God, right? Why is there such a thing as fool's gold? Because gold exists. That's why. Why are there all these other religions, all these other false religions, false gods? Because there is one true and living God, right? Gold itself, if you would. And now they've created all of these false gods. David Guzik, he says, there's a sense in which all worship that is not directed to God is directed to the devil and his demons. Family, has some other form of worship crept into your home? Has some other form of worship crept into your house, right? I wrote down here, horoscopes, right? Any believers messing around with that? I can't believe it's getting so prevalent. Again, healing crystals. Christians playing around with healing crystals. Are you kidding me? Right? For some jokes, right? Rabbit's feet. I don't know if any of you even know what a rabbit's foot is, right? And you're running around with that. Ah, let me rub this rabbit's foot. I know baseball players, they're big time into luck, right? They'll wear the same underwear, the hat the same way or something like that, right? What are you worshiping? Where are you going? 
Are you trying to align your chakra right so you can get right with the Lord and things can happen for you? You're serving other gods. You're worshiping other things. There's no room for that. If the God of the Bible is not behind it, why are you messing with it? Why are you playing with it? If it's not from God, it can only come from one other place. Stop messing with those things. Verse 8 and 9, And you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord. Once again, we see here, how do you treat that person? They shall be cut off from among his people. Again, family, we need to take a stand for our God. We need to be men and women with a backbone. Men and women with conviction. And our backbone will be strengthened by Scripture. The more obedient we are to God's word, the stronger our backbone will be. The more disobedient we are to God's word, the more soft and broken and messed up our backbone will be. Verse 10 and 11, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So here we see one of the warnings in the Old Testament. Cannot eat blood. No more sia, right? No blood sausages. I was um, listening to Joe Foge, and he says that Germans, they make a thing that's called blood pudding, and they eat that, right? And there's right, Asian culture, Hispanic culture. I don't know why you would eat that. But we, we've eaten that, right? In the New Covenant, you're free to eat all the blood sausages you want, right? You want to eat beef honeycomb? You could eat all the beef honeycomb you want, right? If you don't know what that is, don't order at a Chinese restaurant, right? But that's, that's intestines. That's a stomach lining, right? We're in the New Covenant, kill and eat, right? Rice, peat, kill and eat. But what's happening here? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And there's something important for us to know. Of all the quote-unquote religions out there, Judaism and Christianity are the only religions that have such a high view on human life. There's no other religion really has such a high view on human life. You see, God has created man in his own image. He breathed his life into us, and that life passes through our bodies by the blood. Again, God, he couldn't break out the discovery channel for the Israelites to see why blood is so important. He couldn't bring out the microscope or the, the, all these different things. So he puts it as simple as possible. The life of the flesh is in the blood. You think of some of the past ways people would practice medicine, right? You're feeling kind of sick, so we'll just let you bleed out. That was modern medicine at a certain time. And yet God is telling them, hey, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood here is the emblem of life itself. Oftentimes you'll hear soldiers in battle when they've been wounded, they'll talk about feeling the life flowing out of them. And there's just a connection with our blood, the oxygen passing through our bodies. There's something important about that. I don't know if you've ever seen a kid the first time they see themselves bleeding, right? Just a, a view of horror. I've seen it in each of my oldest two kids. I haven't seen it yet. It happened to Luke. It happened to Levi once. And he got a little cut on his head and he started bleeding. And I saw just the, the horror in his eyes, right? Ella, any little cut, and she's like on the floor like she's dying or something like that, right? But let's be honest. There's some adults that at the view of blood, what happens to them? They just pass out, right? 
They just faint and pass out. There is life within the blood. And it tells us the second half in verse 11. Why else? Because it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The only way we can have our sins covered, the only way we can have our sins removed from us is the shedding of innocent blood. It's having that perfect animal, that perfect sacrifice taking our place. And God did not want the nation of Israel belittling blood that has been shed. Verse 12, therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Adam Clark, he says, thus, as a matter of practice, all animals that were butchered in Israel were drained of blood as much as possible. Not all nations did this. It appears from history that those nations who lived most on blood were the very fiercest, most savage, and most barbarous people. They would drink the blood of their enemies. They'd make cups from their skulls. This was a common practice within pagan cultures. They thought that blood would give them power. I think even within some demonic religions today, right, they drink blood to have power before they do certain practices. In their minds, these pagans would drink blood so that they'd have more power over their enemies. You have a dispute with your neighbor, you drink some more blood, so you got more power over them. God wanted the nation of Israel to know that power only comes by his spirit. It's not by practicing some pagan practice. It's only by his spirit. Verse 13 and 14. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I say to the children of Israel, you shall not eat blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it, once again, how do you treat that person? You cut them off. This is how God wants to deal with disobedience within the Israel people. In verse 13, God gives special instruction really for hunters. That if you're out in the woods and you're hunting, how are you supposed to treat the animal? An animal that was not to be sacrificed, or you've gone over the different animals you sacrificed, but what happens if you shoot a deer or an antelope or a bird, a game bird or something like that? They were to bleed the animal out there in the wilderness, and then they were to cover that blood with dirt. Again, reverence and respect to the blood that was spilled. And now, if God had the nation of Israel showing this much reverence for a bird, or for a deer, for an antelope, for a goat, how much more reverence should we have for Jesus and his perfect blood spilled out for us? How much reverence do we have for his blood being spilled for us? We spoke about Jesus, hopefully we speak about Jesus every time we meet, right? But we spoke about Jesus last Sunday, and again, the power of who he is. And yet he humbled himself to the point to die for our sins. To allow his blood to be shed for us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29. It tells us of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. 
Family, I hope there's none of us here that we think lightly of our sin. We think lightly of our disobedience to God. I hope there's no parents here that we think lightly of the sins of our kids. That we say it's not a big deal. It's not that, no. Every sin, why was Jesus crucified on the cross? Why did he die? To take our sins. We need to have reverence for the blood that was shed for our sins, for our atonement, for our covering of our sins, taking our sins from us. And even today, many want to take the blood out of salvation, but it's only by his shed blood that our sins are taken from us. Back to Leviticus 17, verse 15 and 16. Someone here on a lighter note, it says, And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by any beast, whether he is native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. So if you're hungry and on the way home you see a big juicy iguana on the side of the road, you could eat it, but you'll be unclean until the next evening. We come now to chapter 18. right? I don't know if going into Leviticus you thought, what in the world does Leviticus have to do with me today in 2021? Anybody think that? Nobody's brave enough to say they thought that, right? A handful of us, thank you, right? And the whole book of Leviticus, chapter 18, might be the most practical and living chapter even for us today as a society, as a nation, as a people, even within churches. And we'll read the first two verses. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. And there's oftentimes, I think psychologists, they go back and forth, right? You shouldn't just tell kids because I told you so. You got to explain every single thing to them. And I understand that to a certain point, but there are certain times where I have to tell my sons and daughter, this is what I'm saying, and you have to obey. I don't have time to explain it all. I'll be able to explain it to you later. But here what we see in chapter, we saw it in chapter 16. We see it here once again in chapter 17. God is saying, God is reminding to them, I am the Lord your God. God is the boss. Who's the one who heard the cries of the children of Israel from Egypt's oppression? It was God. Who's the one who approached Moses in the burning bush and called him to him? It was God. Who was the one who decided to free the nation of Israel from Egypt? It was God. Who was the one whose power caused the ten plagues over the nation of Egypt? It was God. Who tore the Red Sea in two? Who rained down manna from heaven? Who told the ravens to come down from the sky and allow themselves to be eaten by the nation of Israel? And who showed so much grace when the nation of Israel decided they couldn't wait for Moses to come down from the mountain so they would have to make a golden calf? Who showed grace and then just wipe out the people right there? Who showed grace when the nation of Israel, the moment they get out of Egypt, they're looking at the Red Sea and they begin to complain? Who showed grace after grace when they said, we're sick of manna, we're sick of this, we're tired of that? God showed grace over and over and over again. Family, God is God. And he's the only one. He makes the rules. He's the boss. And the quicker we are to realize that, the more blessings we'll have in our lives. And not only is he the God, not only is he the boss, but then for us to, to know the essence of who our God is. 
He's not an evil God. He's not an evil boss. He doesn't just throw his power around. He doesn't have ego trips. But over and over and over again, the Bible speaks of his goodness, his mercy, his love, his grace. I don't know what age you were when you finally realized your parents talking to you and telling you certain things is not because they hate you, but it's because they love you. I don't know what age that sort of dawned on you, right? For some of us, we say, ah, I was too late once I noticed that. But there are some of us today that as we read our Bibles, we need to realize the one who's writing the rules is giving us these rules because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants us to have life and that abundantly. A couple of scriptures, I'll just throw them out there to you. Psalm 31, verse 19 It tells, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. In Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus tells us, your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Our God is so good that he's paying attention to each and every one of us, and he knows what we need even before we ask him. In Matthew 7, verse 11, he says, If you then, being evil, speaking of fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Mark chapter 10, verse 18, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. He's the only good being in all of eternity. Finally, James chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Again, family, as we read chapter 18 and we see all these rules and regulations told to Moses to tell the nation of Israel, remember who they are coming from. It's coming from a father that knows the things we need of before we even ask him. It's coming from the father that will give good things to those who ask him. It's coming from the father that is the only being that is truly good, that personifies what good is. It's coming from the Father of lights that will not change, who gives us his good and perfect gifts from above. Oftentimes we think all God is, right, is a fun vampire. just wants to suck the fun out of everything, right? That's why he tells us that we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't sleep around, can't do drugs, can't party, can't just blow my money. He just wants to suck the fun out of everything, right? And our world today, what does our world tell us to do? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, and then you'll be satisfied. That's the lie the world tells us, right? And that works in no area of life. They speak about it, especially within sex today in our culture. Sleep around, do whatever you want, and then you'll be satisfied. Is that the truth? When you're on a diet, do you go to a buffet? Is that what you do? You're on a diet and say, hey, I'm just going to take in all the food that I want, and then I'll be satisfied, right? Then I'll start to eat healthy. No, what happens? You say, hey, I didn't try that dessert, right? I didn't try that dessert. I didn't, I didn't try that thing. Right? If you struggle with laziness, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be as lazy as possible today, and then tomorrow I'm going to work hard. Is that what really works? I'm a little bit tired, so I'm just going to watch one episode on Netflix, and then I'll get back to work, right? Is that what really happens? 
And yet our culture tells us, do whatever you feel like, and then you'll be satisfied. Then your life will be okay. Then everything will be great. And that's not what God tells us. God tells us that sex is only for one husband and one wife. Let's jump into it, verse 3 through 5. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Why was God warning them? He was warning them because they had just come from the land of Egypt. They were there for 400 years in the land of Egypt. He's warning them because they're going into the land of Canaan. And the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan lived in just sexual insanity. They just did whatever they wanted, oftentimes having sex with family members, friends, everyone and anyone they thought possible. And God is telling the nation of Israel, hey, you are not to live according to your past or the past of your family. God's telling the nation of Israel, you are not to live according to the land of where you are going, even if it's their laws. You see how easily we apply this to our lives? It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did last week or last month or last year. It doesn't matter how you lived in your BC days. You are not to live according to that standard. You're free in Christ. He's freed you from sin. Now, anytime we sin, it's our decision. We're saying, I'm going to serve my flesh. I'm going to go back to death. He also says you're not to live like the Canaanites. We're going to read later on, probably next Wednesday, the whole reason why the Canaanites were expelled from the land of Canaan was because of their sexual sin. That's why God kicked them out. That's why God purged the land of Canaan. He says, you shall not walk in their ordinances. Who cares what the Supreme Court has to say about marriage? Who cares what they have to say about sex? What does the Lord God have to say? That is who you're to serve, Christian. That's the standard that's supposed to be in your homes. It's not what the law says. It's not what our world says. We need to observe God's judgments and God's statutes. He is the Lord. Finally, verse 5, what does he say there? You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall die by them? He shall, lay his, he shall hate his life because of them? It shall be a curse upon him. It shall be a curse upon his family. No, if we're obedient to his statutes and his judgments, there is life there. Again, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and that abundantly. His rules, his regulations, they're not burdensome. They're to give you life. They're to give you a hope and a future. Again, we need to live by the standards of God and of God's word, not by the people around us. Uh, verse 6 through 9, it says, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. 
This is speaking of the sin of incest, right? And some of us, we read this and we say, oh, this is disgusting. Why are we even talking about this? What's going on here, right? How many young kids have had their lives totally wrecked because of a family member? Because of abuse within the home? Abuse between a a father? Abuse between an aunt or an uncle? And God here is speaking directly against that. He's saying that that's evil. We're going to see later on that's an abomination. The word here, right, where it says uncover his nakedness, this is sexual intimacy. And God says there's to be none of this between a family. None of this is supposed to take place. And we have to be careful within our own lives. Maybe I've transferred and because I'm a dad now or I've gone old school, right? There's no reason for sleepovers, right? Does anything really good happen at four in the morning in another person's home? No, only bad things happen, right? Any of you adults say, man, when I was up at 3 in the morning with my friends, I was so godly God spoke to me there in their house, right? No, (laughs) terrible things happen. Is that where you met your spouse? Is that where you got the job? Man, I got the job. I had to sleep over at my friend's house, right? And at 4 in the morning, that's where I got the job I got now. No, only terrible things happen when that happens. So that's between you and your family. Talk with your wife about it. But man, nothing good comes from that. We have to be so careful. We have to be on guard. We have to be on guard within our own family members. Again, listening to a teaching, if if you've been broken by this, if someone within your own home has done it to you, what's to say they're not going to do it to your own children, to your own kids? We have to hold the standard. You have to protect your home. It, It just has to happen once, and their lives are forever changed. Your family dynamic is forever changed. And maybe you're here and this is what you have to take to the Lord on a consistent basis. Man, give it to the Lord. He wants to free you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to, if you had anything to do with it, he wants to forgive you. And perhaps he wants to strengthen you enough tonight to even forgive that person. I was reading this morning how Jesus says, hey, you need to forgive others. And in the same way, God will forgive you. And that's impossible naturally. That's impossible by our own emotions, but our God is great enough to be able to strengthen you to forgive those who have done evil things against you. God wants to free you here tonight from whatever past you've had, whatever abuse, whatever bad dreams you still have, whatever still breaks the way you view a man or the way you view a woman because of what happened to you as a child. God wants to free you from that. So all these things to say, man, we need to serve the Lord. But again, why are we here tonight? Is God really your God or are you serving the God of comfort? Who are you serving? When you make your decisions, are you like Joseph saying, I can't do this sin against my God? Are you saying, hey, this is the easier thing. This is the more comfortable thing for me to do. And then perhaps you're here with brokenness. Perhaps you've been broken as a young child and you're still thinking about how you were defiled within your own home, within your own safe place. The Lord wants to free you from that. The Lord wants to free you so that now you can be a testimony to other people that go through that. It happens all the time in our sick world that we live in, our sin and fallen short world that we live in. And then finally, maybe you got to make a stand tonight. You have another person in your life. They say they're a believer. They say we're serving the same God, and yet they're not abiding by his rules. Perhaps it's time to stand and make, cause that separation. Right? The New Testament tells us why do we make that separation? So that they would miss the fellowship. 
That's the reason why we make it. We make that stand so that they would one day open their eyes and say, man, I miss my brothers. I miss my sisters. Let me come back to them and get right with the Lord. 